Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. Welcome to my show. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my right fit method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Listen to learn about my Right Fit Method from my guest interviews. A multifaceted career phenomenon. My guest today is Rosie Lee Hooks, director of the Watts Towers Arts Center, the Tower Program for Watts, the Tour Program for Watts Towers, and the Charles Mingus Youth Arts Center. Digging deeper, Miss Hooks is an award-winning actress who won the prestigious NAACP Image Award for Best Supporting Actress. She toured the United States and Europe with the Mark Taper Forum. At the Smithsonian Institution, she served as diplomatic liaison and director of field research. And then. Welcome, Rosie Lee, to Win Without Competing. Thank Tell you very thank, thank you, Arlene. It's a pleasure having you today. Tell us about your childhood. Well, I grew up in Alabama, in Bessemer, Alabama, a um, small town outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, to a large family and... Um, it was, uh, you know, a very racist time in Alabama uh, when I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a small neighborhood and uh, do remember seeing the KKK march on my community. They had graduated from the um, horses and uh, into cars, and they would parade in front of our houses with uh, some sitting in the cars with the lights on and some walking, and uh, they burned a cross across the street at my Catholic high, Catholic uh, school that we went to. So, you know, it was a, a very trying time, but I came from a, uh, a loving uh, family, a mother and father and sisters and brothers. And um, I don't know, that's, that's kind of uh, how I came up. You're a multifaceted career phenomenon. You're a singer, actress, professional photographer, film documentarian, karate expert, and more. What do you think occurred in your childhood to encourage you to be open to new opportunities? I don't know. You know, uh, my father was a... um a butcher and a builder, and he also was a storyteller. Uh, my mother uh, was a homemaker, and uh, I had godparents also that uh, gave me the run of the house that uh, let me know that whatever I wanted or 
wanted to be uh, was a possibility and that I was a very important uh, person in the world. So I think I got some reinforcements when I was very young that uh, that um, I could do uh, and achieve what I wanted to achieve, even though, I, you know, I, at the time I didn't know I was getting all of these things, but uh, I guess I, I must have. Well, obviously they instilled in you the um, confidence to be open because you have to be confident to try new things. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yes, I guess. You know, uh, being confident in who I was, I guess it started when I was young because I felt good about myself most of the time. Um, But um, as I grew up and as I got older, I I, I think I – I know I was a very shy, introverted uh, kind of a, a young person and growing into young adulthood. But later on when I uh, became an actor, and that's one of the reasons I, I think I became an actor, was to come outside of myself, um, to be able to uh, be somebody else on stage and have uh, have the audience believe who you are. That's a, That's a wonderful kind of a thing to be able to do to step outside of yourself and do whatever you want as another person, you know, so that, that kind of uh, gave me an outlet, too. How old were you when you started acting? Oh, I was uh, I was around, uh, in my, um, hmm, probably late 20s, probably late 20s, early 30s. Let's look at uh, tracing your career so your so our listeners can follow your decision-making process, focusing on the search for the right fit. Perhaps they were all right fits for different reasons. Can you expand further about the acting? How did how did you get into it? Well. Um my sister uh, actually took um, was the actor in the family. She'd she'd write these plays and make us read them. Uh, but she was also in high school. She was in the uh, drama club and and really studying acting. But I I was as I said very shy and introverted. So you know I didn't really feel comfortable getting up in front of people until I was um, I had moved from. Uh, Miami at the time to um Washington DC and uh I was working at a uh educational con- uh, consulting firm and a friend of mine wanted to uh join a theater company that was just beginning in Washington DC in the uh, early 70s and um she asked me to come with her so uh I did eventually uh I made a deal with her I think I, she had to give me a shawl or something that she had that I wanted uh, because she was afraid to go with, it, with by herself, so I was going to go with her, and I I managed to get together a poem by Sterling Brown, "The Strong Men Getting Stronger," and um, I uh, went and auditioned, and I was accepted into the community, into the um, into the group, uh, uh, and that's basically how I got started in acting. And uh, I became the coordinator of the training program for the um, resident company, the D.C. Black Repertory Theater Company. And um, I just kind of dabbled from there. Even though you were shy, you were able to overcome it by becoming other characters. Is that uh, your take on it? 
Uh, that's part of it, but I think when you uh, become an actor, that process of becoming an actor, you have to just reveal yourself and, you know, you have to get comfortable with who you are, what you are, and in order to portray other people or be other people, I think um, you have to be able to be a little comfortable and know yourself very well in order to to uh, do that work, and it's a it's a long process. But um, did you ever take acting lessons subsequently? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm always uh, I think actors are will take uh, lessons and classes and and workshops until they. Uh, you know, discontinue their career or die. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, um, the, like I said, I was a member of a, a repertory theater company. And within that company, and I was in charge of training, so in, in that company we uh, had drama, we had the, which is acting classes, scene studies. We had movement because we had to be able to, if not dance, at least move on stage comfortably uh, as an actor. And we also had to sing and we had to develop our voices. So uh, within the context <clears throat> of learning all of those things and becoming such a, a, a rich uh, person and have all of these abilities uh, to p- draw on, you know, it kind of um, kind of helped me to be a little more secure in who I was. Now, you touched upon singing. How did that really evolve? Well, um, as I said, I was in charge of uh, training for the actors. Uh, we were in D.C. Uh, working with Van Tal Whitfield uh, as the artistic director and Robert Hooks as the executive director. And I was to um, find a vocal instructor. So um, um, Bernice uh, Johnson-Regan was at uh, Howard University working on her folklore degree. And she was also um, a singer. And from the civil rights days, she was one of the uh, civil rights singers. And um, she was uh, had her own career as a singer, actually, in, in addition to going to school. But she came over and became the uh, director of our singing workshop. And actually, out of that workshop came um, an a cappella singing group, Sweet Honey in the Rock, and I'm a Honey. I see. How long were you part of that group? Uh, from the inception, which was, I think, around 1973. You know, actually, when you uh, become a honey, you're always one. I think there have been about 23 of us since the inception of the group. Oh, 23 honeys. Okay. Yes, but on stage at any given time are just uh, uh, about five women and one signer. So uh, it's a compilation of uh, different women that have come come through uh, that passage with uh, with Bernice um, at the helm. Producer, can you take us into that realm? Well, um, I guess I started producing um, at the well, in addition to uh, the DC Black Repertory Theater Company and the productions that we had there, and being involved in those productions. Uh, I uh, went to the, um, after I left University Research Corporation, uh, which was um, an organization that um, funded colleges and universities in the eight southeastern states to set up educational programs for staff and Head Start and follow-through, 
um after um I'm sorry, I kind of lost my lost my thought there. Uh what was your question? About producing. How did you yes, enter yes, the world yes. of producing? Absolutely, yes. absolutely, absolutely. And um after that, uh being involved with those that that uh University Research Corporation and in uh, uh doing those programs, I um there was an a job opening at the Smithsonian Institution and um it was with the Festival of American Folklife, and the position was the um, director of the African Diaspora Program. So I, by this time I had the, uh, a lot of administrative skills, and so I, um, I applied for the job and I got it. And uh, what the program actually did was to make a tricontinental statement on, on uh, black people and their culture, meaning that you can find... Um, Many different cultural forms still intact on that diaspora from from Africa to South America and Caribbean and to the United States. So uh, I was the uh, producer of that African diaspora program that included um, <clears throat> managing and lots of administration and sending researchers out uh, domestically and uh, on an international level to find the forms of culture that we wanted to bring back. Say, for instance, we'd, we'd get a basket stitch in, in South Carolina, one in in um, Jamaica, and one in Ghana, and that we would still have that same basket stitch intact. We would do that in the culinary arts. We did that in religion. We did it in uh, secular music uh, uh, also, and in the marketplace, the arts and crafts and, and, and so on. So I... Uh, I think that was my my first major uh, production experience. Going further, diplomatic liaison. How did you become a diplomatic liaison and what did you do? Well, I coordinated activities with the ministries of culture, the embassies in in, uh, Washington, D.C., the ministries of culture in those foreign countries and through the State Department, I traveled on official passport with uh, 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 carrying the uh, proposal under Kissinger's signature to the various ministries of culture in those uh, African and Caribbean and uh, countries to uh, participate in the celebration of uh, bicentennial. And uh, uh, actually, it was uh, we would do two weeks uh, in years leading up to the actual. Uh, festival itself, and then that uh, year of the festival, I think we did about um, uh, a month and a half on the reflecting pool, presenting those different countries and culture and and uh, different disciplines uh, to the uh, residents of Washington D.C. right along the uh, reflecting pool there. Film documentarian. Yes, well. I think um, it's kind of innate in me, uh, the storytelling with my heritage and also um, having worked at the Smithsonian Institution, I really learned that we uh, have to record our stories ourselves in order, and our our history ourselves in order for it to be our history and be an accounting of what we know and what we remember rather than somebody else's. So I think um, I started, uh, uh, I got the the knack for needing to document 
uh, people in their culture as I went along the way. Professional photographer. Well, I started photography around the same time that I uh, that I uh, went to the Smithsonian Institution, um, and um, I took a class. I actually found the camera. Actually, found the camera and uh, started to learn about it and try to use it and document things, um, uh, especially family things, because I think sometimes we don't record enough of that history uh, photographically. So. Uh, I think at, at one time uh, when I was just learning, one of my friends' um, father died, and I went down and um, to uh, Georgia with her and recorded that whole uh, culture around funerals and people dying and family coming back together and and all of that. So uh, I started uh, becoming a photographer right around that same time. And I know that your some of your photographs have been published as well. Yes, um, uh, from that uh, African diaspora program came a book, uh, Black People in Their Culture, which documents the African diaspora, uh, the African diaspora portion of that festival. And I did a photo essay in that book of um, what the festival was actually like, which was basically a documentation on a daily basis of activities that would go on around uh, that festival. The Watts Towers. Tell us how you got your position at the Watts Towers. Hmm. Well, I guess, well, I've been with the uh, City of Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs about 18 years, and uh, when I first came to the department, I was... Um, Performing Arts Program Coordinator, which meant that I coordinated uh, activities for uh, the mayor and for the different council people here. And uh, basically they were cultural festivals. Uh, I think the first festival that I produced here was the Festival of Philippine Arts and Culture. Uh, I produced the first uh, in conceptualized, developed, and designed, the first three Cuban cultural festivals, the Central Avenue Jazz Festival, um, Produced the Armenian Festival, Thai Festival, Festival of American um, Folk Life. Oh well, that one too, and uh, several others um, uh, since I've uh, uh, been here. And I got to Watts, I think, um, as an evolution, probably um, in uh, 1993. I think it was. I went down. There was a uh, staff change there, and then. I was interim, asked to come down and be interim director, and I was there uh, as interim director then. And uh, I came back to my position. And then uh, years later, uh, the position opened up again. And uh, actually, I was asked to, uh, and mainly by the community, to come down and be the director of the Watchtowers Arts Center. And uh, since then, we've just opened the Charles Mingus Youth Arts Center uh, just uh, last uh, last uh, what, last September, and uh, also uh, the Watchtowers, of course, were built by Simon Rodia, um, and I directed tour program of those towers also. Well, I know that um, there have been documentaries about the Watchtowers. I recently interviewed Edward Landler about the Watchtowers. From what 
from your perspective, what is the significance of the towers, and how did your recent trip to Italy relate to the to its significance? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I think the towers, the Watts Towers, are even more um, uh, and uh, a symbol of. Um, uh, immigrants who came to this country um, to uh, a new world to build a life and to build something. And I think uh, Simon Rodia is that immigrant who came and built something here even more than so than the uh, Statue of Liberty that was not built by an immigrant here. Uh, this was actually built here by him. Uh, he worked on those towers for 33 years by himself. And... Um, I think what it tells us all, if we stick to it, uh, we can do it, and that's one of the mantras that I use with my young people. If if you stick to it, uh, you can do it. So I think um, um, he has given inspiration to a community, the, the Watts community, which is always um, the cesspool of the world uh, if we listen to the news. Uh, they are very loving families, and in that one square block area comes more artists in all of the disciplines than anywhere else in L.A., including Charles Mingus, who grew up on 108th Street right uh, on the next block from where the Watts Towers Art Center is. Uh, Buddy Collette grew up down there, and uh, Patrice Russian and Dugu Chancellor, uh, just a myriad of phenomenal people coming out of that area that we don't hear enough about except about the gangs and the welfare and the drugs and all of that. Yes, that's true, as it's true in, in, in many other communities, but uh, nobody ever talks about that um, arts educational institution that's been there more than 50 years providing arts education to a phenomenal community. Tell us more about that, because I think that's important for our listeners to hear about do you have to live in that area to attend these classes? No, you don't. We have uh, several programs uh, at the Watts Towers Art Center. We have a uh, visiting schools, a visiting schools program where we facilitate young people from all over Los Angeles. They come there. They get inspired by the towers. They do an art project, and they look at the wonderful uh, exhibitions that we do there in the gallery. We have two fantastic galleries. In fact, we just oh, we uh, just opened Kith and Ken, which is a compilation of uh, ten artists, uh, including uh, Dominique uh, uh, Moody, Willie Middlebrook, uh, Dale Davis, Ming Smith, uh, Frank Romero, um, uh, Michael Massenberg, uh, just a, um, a phenomenal, phenomenal group of artists that are exhibiting there, and it's part of our uh, 50th year celebration. And in fact, going to Genoa was uh, a part of this 50 years of celebrating uh, art inspired by the Watts Towers. I was invited to uh, come to Genoa to do a paper and also to do uh, to screen uh, one of my films, Fertile Ground. Stories from the Watts Towers Art Center, which actually is uh, basically a history of the Watts Towers Art Center. However, we say stories from the Watts Towers Art Center because we only told some of the stories. There are so many stories to be told uh, of people who are the foundation of, of that Watts Towers Art Center. So I went to Genoa 
to share that at the conference that was uh, being done on Simon Rodia. You've received many awards for a wide array of accomplishments. Which accomplishments will you always remember and why? You know, I think I remember them all because they're all um, are, are very dear to me. Uh, lots of them are community service uh, awards, one from the uh, for Festival of Philippine Arts and Culture Community, also from the uh, uh, King Drew Medical uh, uh, Center um, Community Service Award and the Rainbow Award from theater, and, um, of course, the uh, Image Award from the NAACP was a phenomenal wonderful uh, award, and it uh, makes me very proud to be able to receive those awards. And also becoming a uh, black belt in Tang Sudo Karate, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very uh, pleased with myself to have uh, been able to accomplish that also. So I, I, I'm not sure if I could pick out any one. I, I, I'm appreciative of them all. Well, it sounds like they're all the right fit, just like all the careers are the right fit for you. Well, I think so. Um, uh, I kind of live my life uh, by having it uh, divided into several pieces, as you, you can you can tell from all the things that I do. Right. Because I think that when we close ourselves off to doing just one thing, when that and it's wonderful when that one thing works for you. But when it doesn't, then, you know, we tend to lose ourselves and and just uh, kind of uh, back ourselves into a corner. But if we just cut, look at our life as a pie and, you know, cut it in however many pieces. You don't have to cut it into 24 pieces like I do sometimes or 12 pieces or even uh, six pieces. You could divide it into half, into four pieces, uh, you know, whatever. But, you know, when you have... Other things going on in your life when one is not happening or you're not being rewarded by that one, there are other places to go that you have kind of nurtured along the way for yourself. Why did you decide to study karate? Actually, I started when I was in D.C. Um, and I I just had a need to... Um, be able to take care of myself under any situations uh, without having a weapon or needing a weapon just to feel the confidence. And I also took it because I needed to get control of myself. And um, I think I was almost getting ready to smack somebody. So I said, wait a minute, you you know, you got to get control of yourself. So and that's what karate is. It's not about uh, getting equipped so you can go out and just kill, kill, kill. It's about... Right, right, right. Well, I guess the real question is, why were you ready to smack somebody? In other words, what made you so angry? Well, coming out to Los Angeles and not really having any roots out here and being in the industry and and being married at the time and and just having you know, a lot of disrespect to some extent by women. You know, when you have a a man in Hollywood, it's it's hard to hold on to him sometimes because women are just a dime a dozen, it seems, and we kind of don't disrespect women. We, We women disrespect women so much sometimes that, you know, you're either going to smack them or you're going to get control of yourself and just let them, uh, you know, 
uh, run their course. So that's why you selected karate, and did it achieve your objective? Absolutely, inc- including a broken knee. I tore the uh, uh, oh my the ligament in my knee, but I got my black belt. Uh, yes, it 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 just um, it helped me so much just to become more confident in who I was, more appreciative of who I was. I also um, had a, a young son at the time, and. I thought that, again, that I wanted him to be able to uh, take care of himself under any situation, but also to gain that discipline and have that place to go within yourself and be comfortable with yourself and alone with yourself. So uh, I had uh, he also uh, became a black belt, which really kind of pushed me because I had to become a black belt before him so that he had to bow to me before so before I had to bow to him, so we have that little race going on. But there's a wonderful partnership and brotherhood and sisterhood that is developed when you're in a uh, karate school or uh, martial arts school uh, like that. Are you still uh, doing karate? No, I'm, I'm too old to be out there running around and fighting with those young people right now. No, I, All right. What I, about I acting? To... What What's happening with your acting career? Well, not enough, uh, but I... Well, who knows? Maybe somebody will hear you, Rosie Lee, and be yeah, calling you shortly. Yeah, job. Yeah, that would be great. Well, I'm I'm still acting. Uh, my background is legitimate theater. Uh, I've done a couple of films. I do episodic. I do commercials. And uh, I do legit theater. So, you know, I'm still very active in all of those things. I go out on calls when I can uh when my agent uh sends me out and uh and I know you also did television as well am I correct yes uh, episodic ep- episodic stuff whatever whatever okay. uh, came about uh-huh so you still want to so you still feel very strongly about acting acting is my heart uh if ah. I, if I could just act I would just be the last movie star but I don't work enough as an actor, so uh, when I am not acting, I am uh, uh, producing uh, other events and programs and, and, and activities. But uh, I will always act as long as I'm here. I will always continue to act. How has passion contributed to your career success? I think passion is a huge part of of my career success because when I go after something, when I make a film or when I'm doing a role or when I'm uh, producing uh, the Day of the Drum Festival or the Jazz Festival or or my piano recital for my kids, uh, I care a lot about what I'm doing. And I'm I'm very blessed that way that I'm able to uh, work in the arts because uh, that's where I where my heart really is. So when I'm not acting myself, I get a chance to still either produce and conceptualize, develop, and design other uh, activities or programs or festivals or uh, making films. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that uh, I can uh, move around within the different disciplines. And do you feel passionate as you're moving around? I feel very passionate as I'm moving around. You know, it's like birthing a baby each time. You know, I do a film. I just uh, finished editing my uh, last uh, documentary on um, a tribute to Charles Mingus. 
and um, it's it's like going through nine months of labor, and then you finally finish, and you you give this get this product here that that's just the phenomenal thing. So I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do when I'm on stage. There's nothing like uh, being able to communicate with people. Uh, many different people, and when I'm producing Patrice or Ndugu or Buddy or, you know, uh, those kind of master musicians, again, um, it's just um, such a passion to be able to interact and interact and work with these people and hear this music and experience uh, all of the uh, interactings of, of those arts and the Phenomenal people that I, I get to work with. I get I really get to, get to work with just phenomenal, phenomenal people. And I'm very blessed to be able to have had in my life all of these people uh, coming in and out. And I do see them as mentors as I continue to go along the way. Uh, you ask about uh, training and, and continuing and, and so on. You know, you, you, I'm a student. I, I'm still a student, and uh, I'm very... Um, very um, excited about uh, being able to do whatever it is I'm going to do next. <laughs> so I, I do have a lot of passion about what I do, and I, I do know that I'm lucky to be able to do that and to earn a living uh, uh, pursuing my passions. How do you balance your professional and personal life? Well, you know, my prof- my professional life and my perf- uh, a personal life kind of merge together a lot because most of my friends, are in the industries, either in the entertainment industry or are artists or, uh, you know, uh, uh, that that nature of people. You know, I'm just thinking about all of my friends, and they are either musicians or actors or artists or, you know, that uh, genre of people. So it seems very uh, uh, easy to uh, manage my professional and personal life because they do merge quite a bit. So you don't have to really think to yourself, I'm doing too much working, uh, I need to be socializing more. Um, you don't have to make that differentiation. Is of that course, what? Of course, I still have to have to do that. I still have to say, stop. You don't need to produce another show. Go look at a show. You know, I do have to uh, make myself do that, but I, have a, I, ha- I do have a wonderful group of friends who ensure that uh, that I keep my beak uh, wet <laughs> outside of working. But you know, I, I may be a workaholic because I, you know, I love what I do, and there's so much of uh, to be done. And I, you know, I have broad shoulders, and I can carry a lot, so. You know, I don't mind working because I do enjoy it. I do have to tear myself away to to for some personal personal time sometimes, or like hanging out with my friends and going to see shows and and so on. But I managed to get that in too. What advice do you have for those who are struggling with their careers, of which many are unemployed? Well, you know, it's a very difficult uh, time right now, and I think it's going to even get worse. But uh, sometimes you just have to be open for something you've never done before. Just take a chance and, and walk off there and trust that uh, you, you're going to be okay. But don't just sit around and wait for it to come because it's not going to come. Those ships don't come in. That They you know they say, well, one of these days my ship is going to come in. Well, you got to go out there and get that ship, you know. 
It's not just going to come there and say, hey, come on, get on. you got to go look for it. you got to be aggressive. Uh, I know it's scary times and all, but, you know, go do something. You know, at one point I worked at um, Neiman Marcus when I first came out here because I was so frustrated and I couldn't work and didn't work enough as an actor. So I said, well, I'll go get myself a job, and a real job, and I did. And, and you know, I, I, I never brought home a paycheck because I, I used it all there shopping. So, so you spent it, all your money on, on uh, making yourself glamorous and beautiful. That's right, you know, and I made myself feel better until I could get another job, and I eventually did. But, you know, that was not something I had expected to do. But, you know, sometimes you have to look in other directions than... Uh, where you are because when doors don't open on one way, you can have them open another way. And, you know, it it, it takes a little a little work, a little time, a little trust, uh, but absolutely you have to get out there and go go uh, look for it, whatever it is and whatever it, whatever form it may take. Well, I think your flexibility is amazing, and I think that other people – need to learn how to become more flexible, especially in difficult times when you may not particularly like what appears to be the choices that are in front of you. You have to figure out what other choices you can create and be open to trying something new. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we we do stuff and we take jobs that we don't really like, but you know, that foundation of whatever that job gave you, there was something positive in there. And you got to look at that positive part of it because, you know, as I came up, whatever door opened and whatever, I was a waitress at one point, uh, I said dust for my teachers, you know, uh, and, and and it's interactive skills. I had to, I used to write letters for the older people in the community, you know, I used to interact a lot with migrant workers when I worked in a worked in a grocery store. I always was able to learn something from those people because they are human beings. If you look at human beings like they are human beings that you are there's nobody in the world that's more important than you are and it's a mantra that you must keep saying and I have my children and watch say it there's nobody in the world who is more important than I am. And when you really get uh get your feet into that a little bit you begin to live it, and, you know, you act it out until you can believe it. And a lot of times in some of those jobs that I got so fast, so quick, I had to act like I knew what I was doing until I knew how to do it. So, you know, you may want to try opening yourself up uh, a little bit more in that way. Well, Rosie, it's just been a pleasure interviewing you today. Or I should say Rosie Lee Hooks. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Arlene. It's just been a pleasure. Is there something that you would like to say about uh, your center before we conclude the interview to entice people to visit? It is a phenomenal center, the Watchtowers Arts Center and the Charles Mingus Youth Arts Center. We've been uh, providing arts education to that community for, like I said, more than 50 years. And I'm talking, uh, our young people are not exposed to mediocre artists. They only get professional artists. We have a wonderful animation program with Sony Pictures and CalArts. 
Uh, we have a piano program. In fact, we're going to have a, a piano a recital on the 26th of April. We're celebrating all of this year as part of our 50th anniversary. We're going to. Uh, we also have um, uh, photography classes. We have graphic arts classes. We have a, a community garden. You can come by and help us in the garden. Our young people from Florence Griffith Joyner um, Middle School comes over and helps us with the garden. We have so many wonderful things that we're doing for the community, and we need people to know that Watts is more than the riots. You know, it's it's a very loving community of people who want the same thing for their children that everybody else wants. And we have a jewel. We are the heart of Watts. We continue to provide arts education to the world. We have a very large international-based uh, 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 visitors uh, to our center also. So we're very excited about what we, what comes out of Watts, California, and is not gang-related. It's wonderful. Um how would our listeners find out more about your programs and how to visit your center? Well, um, you can uh, you can contact us through the uh, Cultural Affairs Department. Uh, I think it's www.culturela.org. Uh, and uh, our center is the Watts Towers Art Center and the Charles Mingus Youth Art Center. You can also uh, give us a call. Um, we're open for business. Uh, Tuesday through Sundays. We have phenomenal exhibitions in the Noah Purifoy Gallery and in the Mingus Gallery. And uh, we're going to have an artist talk actually on May 3rd of all of those 10 artists that I mentioned earlier that we're, uh, we just uh, opened that show and curated that show. And uh, for our, our celebration this year at our Day of the Drum Festival and the Jazz Festival, we'll be focusing on all of those elders that came before us and started the, the Watchtowers Art Center and uh, allow us to continue to provide uh, to the community. Would you like to share the center's phone number? Yes, the phone number is 213-847-4646. Wonderful. Rosie Lee Hooks. You are truly a multifaceted career phenomenon. Please come back soon. Thank you very much. Please join me again next Wednesday, April 22nd at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Winner of the 2009 Right Fit Award. Job Seeker Wins the 2009 Right Fit Award. You are cordially invited to attend my live coaching of the winner of the Right Fit Award who will learn how to walk down the Right Fit Road until he or she hears you're hired. Barrow Global Search, of which I am the founder and CEO, conducted a nationwide contest to find the right fit winner who has been unemployed for six or more months, not read Win Without Competing, nor listened to the show. The failed job strategies of the winner include blasting resumes from Burbank to Bombay. The winner represents the millions of unemployed who are using the same ineffective strategies. 
eager to learn more, at 9 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time or after, on April 22nd, read the updated show description on Blog Talk Radio, which will disclose the winner and more. Curious about why we call the winner the right fit rather than indicate that that person is the best? Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. If you can't tune in at 5 p.m. Pacific, then please listen to the archive show. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, Career Coach One, founder and CEO, Barrow Global Search, Inc. And if you want to contact me directly, you can call 310-441-5305 or email me at drbarrow at winwithoutcompeting.com. For more information about my book, visit winwithoutcompeting.com and drbarrow.com. Looking forward to being with you again next week. Bye-bye.